We're here at the uh, Brooklyn Diner, which is in Manhattan. Is that is that troubling to you? It's a little weird. I actually had breakfast at the Brooklyn Bagel Company, which is also in Manhattan this morning. So um, I guess it's okay. Well, the weird thing about this place, and, and I noticed um, I was, was trying to find a quiet place, which clearly I, I was not successful in, but I, I looked at their, their site, and they've got three locations, um, Times Square, Carnegie Hall, which is the one we're at right now, and, and Dubai. Do you think there was a Brooklyn Diner at some point, and maybe it went out of business, or was that just a name? I think this is one of the... I think it's for, for people who come to New York, I think it's for out-of-towners, who don't want to take the train all the way into Brooklyn. I think that's, I think that's the key demographic. Do you think this offers the flavor of Brooklyn? You'd know better than I would. I haven't spent much time in Brooklyn. I mean, it's loud. Um, it, it looks to be largely gentrified, so I think they've, I think they've hit the nail on the head. That's fair enough. Yeah, I stayed at a hotel down in the financial district, which apparently was contracted with uh, a lot of places in France. So whenever we tried to get back to the hotel room, we were just inundated by elderly French people with giant suitcases who were clogging up the elevators, dozens and dozens of them. Amazing. So this seems like the kind of place that they would want to go to and feel like they've been to Brooklyn without actually having to go to Brooklyn. I'm actually curious about your thoughts on on the city. I mean, you know, obviously you used to come in pretty close to once a week. Um, I assume the frequency has changed uh, recently. Yeah, I, I've been down uh, maybe well over once a month at this point. I think it'll probably increase again. But, yeah, with my new role at CNN, I no longer need to be in the city as much. Uh, you know, I, I like New York a lot. I think it's a great town. There's a lot of fun things to do. Uh, and just actually spent the weekend here and had a good time with my wife. But, uh, you know, I grew up in Vermont. I love the country. And uh, I love to, you know, as much as I love to come into civilization, uh, I love to go home to the country even more. Well, because that's, uh, you know, I assume when you were at Engadget that there was probably some push at some point to get you to, to move to the city so that you come, come in every day. There actually wasn't that much. I mean, that was one of those criteria that I put in place at the beginning was that I would be in the city whenever I was needed, but I did not want to move to, to New York City. So, you know, I went out of my way to schedule meetings on, on a given day a week, and if I needed to come back down again, uh, I would. Um, so I was down here quite a bit. Um, but no, actually, I didn't really get that much pressure to move down here. Um, so for better or for worse, uh, I never did. It, it, it's actually surprising to me that anybody needs to be any in any kind of a central location at this point and and you know and and you and i still both do, uh, we, we still do a fair amount of traveling i mean for video certainly it makes sense but i don't know do trade shows do trade shows need to exist at this point it's an interesting thing i mean there's a lot of you could have a an interesting conversation about whether the media needs to exist in the tech field anymore because things you know i watched with fascination when microsoft posted their own unboxing video of the xbox one um, you know, within, I think, 48 hours, they had a million views on that video. Uh, and it wouldn't have gone any more quickly if they'd given it to, to Engadget or to The Verge or to GameSpot or to anybody else. Uh, so if they can get that out there that quickly on their own, uh, and if it's, we're just talking about, you know, product releases and spec updates and that kind of thing, what do they need the tech industry for? Product reviews? Sure. But you don't necessarily need to travel anywhere to do a product review. Um, and if you're just releasing information about your new devices... Throw a press release up on Twitter. Hire a blogger who can, you know, put it in uh, a kind of easy to understand sense. And do it yourself. Is this? Uh, I mean, is this something that you've been you've been thinking a lot about lately? As you, you know, as you've transitioned from one place to the other. Yeah, it's definitely something that's been on my mind. I mean, as I was trying to decide where I wanted to go uh, and what I wanted to do after after leaving Engadget, um, I definitely had the opportunity to, you know, do my own thing to start my own site. 
Uh, and it's something that still intrigues me, something that I want to do, but that was definitely something that was big in, in the front of my mind was that there are so many tech sites covering so much tech news. And right at this point, companies are very empowered to, to do their own thing. And on top of that, uh, it's so hard to have effective advertising in any kind of website these days, um, especially as, as more and more readers are moving to the mobile side of things. I mean, I don't want to do a, a blog about advertising, but ultimately, you know, more and more people are turning to advertorial where they're basically selling their content and writing whatever a company wants them to. But if a company can get whatever they want to published online, how they want it, why do they even need to buy advertorial anymore? And if advertorial dries up, we're going to see a lot of a lot of great properties start to fail. Just like we've already been seeing a lot of great properties failing. So, so why? I mean, why was why was CNET a, a good choice then? I mean, is is it bucking that trend? Uh, CNET's doing a lot of interesting things. They're going to continue to do a lot of interesting things. They've been showing a lot of success, um, and their focus is you know news is obviously a huge focus for them and they're adapting to kind of deal with this new new paradigm as well as anybody is and i think they continue to, they will continue to do so but re- reviews will continue to be a huge value you know i don't think anybody will ever trust a review from microsoft of the xbox one i think we're a long way from that sort of thing uh and cnet's got really great trusted reviews and they they kind of own the seo the you know the google search engine juice for any given product uh, they own it they're expanding more and more into bigger reviews of bigger products and that, I think, is a very important thing. And I hope that the work that I'm going to be doing, which is going to be doing more feature work and deep dives on products, I hope that's the kind of thing that still holds value going forward. But, of course, you know, this is a very dynamic industry, so I'm curious to see uh, where things go. Well, I've been doing this for, for about 10 years, and this is something that I've struggled with <laughs> pretty much the whole time is, um, you know, am I doing anything beyond kind of pushing pushing capitalism forward? I mean, you know, is it... Uh, I mean, we're certainly, we're certainly, uh, you know, we're never towing companies' lines, or at least trying not to. But um, are we really just in the end? Are we just kind of, you know, convincing people to uh, to, to buy more phones? There's, that's a part of it for sure. Uh, I always. At Engadget, I always looked at it as we were kind of the the holders of our readers' wallets, spiritually, uh, or the protectors of their wallets, the arbiters of their spending, something like that. You know, we were trying to protect them from making a bad purchase, uh, and we're trying to let them know about cool things that they might want to buy. Um, so there's definitely some, you know, encouraged consumerism going on for sure. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I, I always saw us as being more protective than 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 a more of a defender than a pusher, if that makes sense. I'm wondering how you how you made the transition into into writing in the first place. I mean, you know, you were doing you're doing coding. I mean, certainly that's a that's that's a lucrative and is becoming more and more lucrative as we go along. Yeah, absolutely, especially here in the U.S. Yeah, my career path is 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 interesting. I mean, I've I've been writing for as long as I can remember. When I was a kid, I used to write terrible gothic horror stories. You know, and I, I was a big H.P. Lovecraft fan as a as a kid. And, and Let, let's pa- I'm going to pause there. And I, I if can you take me through one of the, one of these stories? Uh, yes. Uh, so you know, a lot of. Uh, a lot of horror stories in general take place in the Northeast, and I grew up in Vermont. So reading H.P. Lovecraft, Stephen King happens in the Northeast a lot. Um, so I, you know, a lot of Lovecraft tales are going to some crazy little town and weird things happening. So I actually wrote a series of. It was um, two of my favorite things as a kid, which Sherlock Holmes and H.P. Lovecraft. So I kind of brought the two together and created this this kind of um, investi- like paranormal investigator guy with like his bumbling sidekick. And it took place in like the late 19th century. So it was, would you like me to hold the microphone? Yeah, I'm going to switch on. Okay. <laughs> We're doing like this kind of funny pass the mic back and forth sort of thing. So now I'm controlling the podcast because I'm holding the microphone so uh, there was I think I wrote maybe five or six tales of, of this guy who would go to like strange happenings in weird little Vermont towns and 
One dealt with uh, a Sasquatch that was terrorizing a logging community in Stratton, Vermont, and um, I think there were a couple of ghost-related ones, of course. So, so I, I wrote a lot of little silly tales like that just because it was fun, uh, and that's how I kind of got started writing. Obviously, I'm not doing anything like that now, though. Um, so. Yeah, I, I just love for writing, and I very quickly got a love for computers, too, when I was a kid. My dad brought home a Commodore 64, which was amazing. I taught myself how to do basic programming on that when I was a kid, too, uh, so I did a lot of that. And then when I came to town to college to pick a career, I couldn't make up my mind, so what I wanted to do was I wanted to write video games, which I thought would be a creative, you know, I could write stories for games and write the games themselves. But I learned very quickly that there's no, there's not a lot of money to be made there, which is not the end of the world, but you also get work to the bone. You know, we're talking 16, 17, 18-hour days, um, getting paid very poorly and getting treated very badly. I, I want to pause and, and, and ask you, so, you know, <laughs> the pro- if the problems were long hours and not getting paid a lot, but you still ended up at, you know, <laughs> as, as a blogger. Yeah, yeah, so that's definitely, so I did the whole software thing, came out of college in the dot-com boom, made the good amount of money at the end of that but i always kept writing and then uh, a couple years after that you know i'd worked my way up to the level of enterprise software architect which is you know doing pretty good for myself as a 30 year old i think at the time and then you know i had been doing freelancing at engadget and here came this opportunity because the the editor-in-chief at the time was leaving and and we knew it um and we knew that a lot of people were going along with him and so they were looking for people to step up and yeah, it was definitely an interesting career move from a pay standpoint uh, and from a stability standpoint. But at that point, I'd been writing for Engadget for, I think, about three years. And I'd, I had honestly gotten some kind of an attachment to the brand, even though I was only writing you know, five or six posts a day um, and working part-time. I still really felt strongly about it. And I felt like if I didn't step up, I didn't know who else was going to. Um, and so, so I put my name in the hat which which I felt ridiculous doing at the time I made the case that leading these teams of dozens of software designers and hundreds of software developers put me in a position that I could lead a team of 30 very talented bloggers and do a pretty good job of that and that I had management skills which is something that none of the other editor-in-chiefs editors-in-chief excuse me had brought to the table and that was my pitch and ultimately it was a successful one it was a weird, it was a weird time for us, right? Those, those first couple months. I mean, I can't, you know, I, 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 I certainly had a, 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 a pretty tough time of it, and um, at least in terms of responsibilities, it was a fairly lateral move for me. So I can't even imagine going from being a, a, a freelancer, well, not even a full time freelancer, a freelancer, and and kind of just falling into that. Yeah, it was a definitely a difficult time because. We had a lot of really talented people coming on board the team. We had a lot of really talented people who were leaving the team, uh, going somewhere else. Uh, and it was a, a turbulent time, and, and people like yourself coming on board wondering what the hell did I just get myself into. And I think that ultimately none, nobody really knew what you were getting yourself into. You know, Darren Murph and I, we talked to each other a lot, and we both agreed we were going to see this through one way or the other. Uh, and so we were committed to making it work, uh, and that meant a lot of late nights, a lot of long hours, a lot of stress. And that's something that everybody ultimately, everybody who signed on, wound up getting pulled into that. And, and you know, it was a huge team effort. And that first CES uh, 2012, when we were all together as a team, and we went through that show, and we absolutely kicked ass at that show. And I still remember the dinner at the end of that show, just being incredibly happy, incredibly relieved that. We'd pulled this kind of ragtag team of, of, of journalists together, who some of whom knew each other and a lot of folks didn't at the beginning. 
Uh, and at the end of that show, we were all ha- smiling and hugging each other. There weren't any fights. There weren't any disputes. It, it was a great week. It was a great accomplishment. It, it, it's weird. You, you know, you, you end up getting to a point where you... Um it's weird to get nostalgic for for those moments, you know, and and even like in even you know even more of a a, a broader broader sense than that specifically. You know, I've I've had, um, you know, I've, I've sort of like lately over the last year or two been thinking about to like you know my first couple of years in New York, like my years of like you know not having regular work and living in a, the shittiest apartment possible and like it, it's kind of amazing how quickly that turns from from misery to, to nostalgia in retrospect yeah i yeah i mean people look back to their time at boot camp as a positive kind of thing for them people look back at their time at war as a positive thing and and honestly i always liken ces to boot camp because ultimately you come out of it a lot stronger than you went into it you come out of it as a better team than when you went into it you come out of it as a better blogger and a better writer than you went into it uh, and you come out of it a lot tired, more tired than you went into it. So it's a lot like boot camp in a lot of ways. Obviously, you know, boot camp is an entirely different challenge. I don't mean to diminish that in any way. But, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely, it's it's amazing how our minds delete a lot of the, the suffering and, and, and play up a lot of the positive things, which is a, a very positive trait of humanity, I think. So, uh, you know, speaking of of sort of, you know, ha- having having the um, the benefit of distance, I'm, I'm also I'm also wondering, you know, where when when we look back at this time for for gadget blogging or for you know for tech writing, I mean, where where where, where does this fall in the in the grand spectrum? I mean, are things getting bigger, smaller? Is is the world contracting? The real question is whether yeah whether this is a transitional period or whether we will always be in a transitional period and it'll never stop being transitional. Blogging could be seen as a transition from traditional journalism to something different. Um, blogging may wind up to be a, a major part of traditional jur- or traditional journalism ultimately that happened to be a little bit more short-lived than the, the old-school print journalism. Uh, the, the trend obviously is shorter, faster, um, less voice, less l- less actual journalism. That's the trend. I would like to think that at some point we bottom out and we get to a point where there's respect for microblogging, there's respect for quick updates, there's respect for Twitter, but there's also respect for longer form stuff and there's respect for traditional journalism. Uh, I think blogging will always have a, a place in there as just being a great means of posting updates and posting news. But whether it ever garners the respect of you know uh, a great profile in Vanity Fair, I honestly don't know. I think it's too early to tell. We're a little too close to it right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess you know, I, I guess I, I'm wondering a little bit more abstractly than kind of um, questions about about platform because obviously that's something that extends far beyond te- the the tech field. But you know, just in terms of, um, I was I, I'm always trying to kind of couch this in this idea of you know when I when I first started writing professionally, I was really interested in writing about like music, for example, and all of the. Um, you know, romantic heroes that I have. I mean, you, you gave me that book on new journalism, so you know, you, you know, I'm sure that you you had your moments with like the Hunter Thompsons and the Tom Wolfs and all these other people. And um, and, and I had a moment, um, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago, where you know I was at a van and somebody, um, somebody, you know, somebody brought to my attention. I mean, it was there in front of me. It's very, it was very obvious, but somebody brought to my attention that um, that it, that it is popular culture. So. You know, if it is popular culture, shouldn't writing about technology also be kind of the popular media? I think that it is. And I think that there will be people who look back at at a lot of bloggers, like people look back at Hunter S. Thompson and, and the other folks. The question is, 
are there people in this industry who are really pushing the field of journalism forward like Hunter S. Thompson did or like any of the other folks profiled in the new, new journalism did? And, you know, there are definitely a lot of people who stand out in my mind as, as great players, Kara Swisher or pretty much anybody at All Things D. You know, they do amazing work. But who are the people who really push the medium forward? And, and nobody really comes to mind as somebody who really... I mean, there are the folks who established the idea of blogging back in the day, but... When it comes to new forms of journalism, new new questions or new ways of asking questions, it, it really feels like the same basic game, just a different presentation and a different length uh, and a different level of attention to detail and that kind of thing. So, you know, there are tons of books about blogging. Will any of them ever be as as weighty as the new journalism or the new new journalism? Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't think so, though. Well, and not not to discount it too much, but I, I feel like I'm I, I'm allowed to discount it because it's what I do for a living. But you know, books about blogging are um, are are books about lolcats, right? I mean, it's it, anything you see, really. At least ninety five to ninety eight percent of of these books that that have come out of blogging are like are shit. My dad says. I mean, it's literally collections of memes. Yeah, and, and it's it's always focused on how to make money blogging, uh, which is the other big thing. If, if you read books on journalism, it's not how to make money; it's it's how to protect your sources, it's how to how to paint a picture, how to you know accurately interview somebody. It's it's more about technique and skill than marketing. And, and so much of blogging is marketing at this point, especially as you know larger properties lose their importance and and the the, the power of an individual becomes much greater through social media and that kind of thing. Um, you know, so branding yourself becomes much more important. That's usually what these things focus on, and that's that's a very important thing and a very difficult thing. And there's a lot of nuance to that too. Um, but but ultimately, that's something that I don't respect as much as I respect traditional journalism. And maybe that's a fault against me. Well, you you know, and you you, uh, you, you brought up all things to um, a, a second ago, and and you know, I'm, now that I'm really thinking about them, um, you know, if they if they if they get. Uh, some kind of scoop about you know a new iPhone at, at Foxconn or something like that. I mean, the vast majority of um, really, I guess what we would consider important information, um, uh, you know, BlackBerry layoffs or something like that. I mean, that that is not. It's not something that's going to be in a book that people are going to be reading thirty years from now. Right. That's that's great journalism. That's you know somebody doing their legwork really really well. But it's not pushing the envelope. I mean, um, Kara has said in interviews in the past that she there's nothing there's nothing special about what she does. She's just really 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 goddamn persistent. Uh, and I think that's a lot of what what that style of journalism comes down to. Um, but yeah, what Hunter S. Thompson was doing was something revolutionary compared to what anybody else was doing, or, or what Kurt Vonnegut was doing when he was doing some uh, some ad hoc journalism stuff too. Uh, very, very different from what else was going on at the time. And ultimately, you just don't see that sort of experimentation in this world. Or maybe there's just nowhere else to go. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think it's I think it's probably a, a, a lot of a lot of factors at play. I mean, you know, certainly certainly we see a lot of really interesting good features coming through. Um, you know, I, I feel like I've written some some interesting things in this space, but I, I don't know that we're. I, I don't know that anything is going to be anything but a ethereal at this point. You know, I mean, and, and this is a problem that um, that 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 we have as a blogging platform, and this is a problem that extends to pretty much the whole of the internet. Is um, you know, I can spend a couple of weeks, you know, months embedded on a story, but ultimately. At best, it's going to do well on Twitter at, at one day, and people are going to forget about it the next. Right. There are very few pieces that any of us generate that, that really stick in the minds of, of any of our readers. Um, and again, that's 
that's part of the culture it's part of the industry and and with things like reddit you know people are, are very quick to to fall in love with something and very quick to move on to something else um and it's it's a new form of, of again it gets back to self-marketing and it's so fluid it's so fast uh, it's really hard to write something that sticks sticks to the proverbial ribs of, of the readers these days. It's something that I hope to be able to accomplish. It's something that I'm really going to be focusing on and finding out what works and what doesn't work. But long form stuff is it's it's hard these days. It's really hard, and I think that's that to me is what I've always had the most interest in. and something that I've always encouraged us at Engadget. I always encouraged us at Engadget to do. Um, it's something that I'm going to be trying to do and do better uh, at seeing that myself. Yeah, I mean, it's also you know if you look at. If you look at Hunter, Hunter Thompson, not to harp too much on Dr. Gonzo, but he, uh, he, you know, every 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 story that he wrote, everything that turned into a larger piece was it was either funded by Rolling Stone. There was, you know, uh, the Fear and Loathing Las Vegas started off as a desert race, so he had all that that sports money coming in. You know, Gay Talese was was you know like being funded by Vanity Fair, and they were all getting this this influence of money of. Um, um, of media firms that were willing to pay the money to embed people in places, and we're not seeing that. And the reason we're not seeing that is because blogging is ultimately killing that. Yeah, yeah. There are a few people who had those opportunities or go to those opportunities. Uh, but, uh, I mean, some of that is introspective, and some of that is really stepping away from the field and really writing about an experience in a very different way, um, which is something that, you know, as a blogger or as a tech journalist, we get so focused on the product. Um, and we lose perspective of the experience, uh, and that's—it's so easy to do, and it's something that we've all been guilty of doing. And it's again something that I hope to be doing less of. But we, we focus on comparing a given product to another given product, and then we give our opinion about the given product. And we talk about the company and the success of the company as it relates to that product, uh, and that—that that is what our our industry, which is you know sucking at the teat of the other broader tech I- I- industry, that's what we do. That's how we make our money, um, and so. The question is, is there interest in people reading a story about this horrible press junket for a launch of a new product and, and, you know, when the PR girl got drunk and puked on the floor? You know, is there interest in that kind of thing? And I see people like like Jalopnik does some interesting pieces every now and again where they kind of step away from the car and talk about the story around the launch of the car or something like that. And they do well with it. They do some great pieces that are rather broader. And I... I'd love to see some more of that sort of thing in, in the, the world of tech journalism. Yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm concerned that um, as people think about these things, I mean, and, and this might just be the, <laughs> the, dumbing, the dumbing down of the culture or the, the internet effect, but um, oftentimes when people are thinking about taking an alternative tack to, thing, it's, uh, to things, it's, um, it's gimmicks, it's pranks, it's things like that. I mean, you know, it's it's... I guess I guess it's ultimately bottom line of of how are we how we're getting people to our page. Yeah, it's got to be got to be different. I mean, usually when you're talking about different, it's not more sophisticated different. It's going rather the other direction different. Um, and if you can do that, you know, the, the, the trick is to do that in a respectful way or a way that your readers won't lose respect for you. Uh, if you do that in a childish rude sort of way, then um, you know that might get you some hits in the short term, but to be able to do that in a way that's compelling and respectful and interesting is is a huge challenge for sure. I'm also wondering if you know if we get to a point where um, it doesn't feel like we're kind of kids at the grown up table. You know, every time you know you've uh, I'm, I'm sure you've you've experienced this with CBS and I've I've been at, at work for a number of corporations and 
um, I always get, I always get that feeling. I always get that feeling when I walk into a room full of people in suits that I'm just kind of, uh, you know, I feel like the intern or or the kid there. Yeah, but the difference is so much of what we're doing, we're figuring it out as we go along. Despite the fact that this is a reasonably well-established industry, I mean, so much of what we do, we're making it up as we go. You know, we have practices and policies for covering events and that kind of thing that we can put in place. Sure, but. But when it comes to the right way to interview the CEO of BlackBerry, um, you know, is it a video? Is it is it an audio recording that we post up online? Is it a straight question by question response, or is it a, a more of a broader story that we kind of weave his answers into, um, or is it some combination of all of the above, or you know, or is it a live Twitter stream thing where we have people soliciting questions? Uh, it's up to us to find the right way to do that and to make it work. Uh, and there's no defined best practices for this kind of thing so in a lot of ways yeah i mean we are kind of just making it up as we go but but you know as you as you on a personal level make the transition from um and gadget which you know is, has been around for for a while now but um even compared to like cnet uh certainly compared to cbs these other places um you know they, they're, they're kind of i guess they're kind of seen as being more mature in, in a sense and i'm wondering if that how that affects the way you approach your work. It definitely changes things a bit from a tone standpoint. Um, you know, I, I feel like the expectation is to be a little bit more mature, which is which is fine for me. Uh, a little bit more introspective, too, for me, which is fine. But ultimately, CNET does a lot of more light, fun stuff, too. But typically, that happens more in the video and the multimedia content, that kind of thing, less in the printed word. Um, so they don't run as many goofy posts, for example, as we did adding gadget or, or snippy posts or you know funny headlines or photoshops are not something that's typically done. So it is definitely a different feel. It's a, a more re- respectful feel, I think, uh, and a little bit more um, sophisticated feel, or trying to be anyway. Whether or not that's good or bad, I think you know I think it works for them. They're they're again what they're really playing on is their strength in reviews. And that kind of, in my eye, drives drives the news and drives other things as well. So, and the reviews are typically very buttoned up and very sophisticated. Is um is Snark a crutch when 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 you come down to it? I mean, you know, is, and it is um are sites that rely on it, which granted is a vast majority of the bloggersphere. Are they are they um is it something that's keeping them back from from appealing to the wider audience? There's Snark, and then there's being a jerk uh, and I think there's a fine line between the two snark is being well ed- well educated and making a point by being snippy by, by being sarcastic um, but those sorts of things have to be used in moderation if you're snarky all the damn time if you're sarcastic all the damn time nobody wants to talk to you anymore you know it's the same as in if you've got a friend who's sarcastic about every comment that they make you're probably not going to want to spend a lot of time with that friend anymore uh, so any sort of property that's really using that as a crutch it's, it's to their detriment because ultimately they're going to be turning away readers. It's something that has to be used in, in in moderation, but it's a very powerful tool. I mean, that way you can make a cynical comment about a company that's done something a zillion times before and didn't deliver on that promise, you know, things like that. When it's well called for, it's powerful, but if you use it too much, yeah, it can definitely be a detriment and it can turn away turn away y- your readership. It, it, it feels like one of the... Oh, somebody just walked by with a barbecue. It feels like um, one of the things that uh, was kind of put in play for... Uh, in order for blogs to, to distance themselves from, from old media properties. Um, and it's still there. And all of these... then there's all of these artifacts that are still in, in, in play that were an attempt to, for people to separate themselves from the New York Times. And I'm wondering if... if 
in order for blogging to really mature, if they need to get out of that mindset, if they need to stop defining themselves by what they're not. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like when Miley Cyrus goes on stage and like points at her crotch and 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 you know grinds on a teddy bear and that kind of thing. She's like she's saying, "I'm an adult. I'm an adult. Look at me. I'm an adult." And I feel like a lot of bloggers are so snarky because they're saying, "Look at me. I have a voice. I have a voice." And if I were writing for a big publication, I wouldn't be allowed to have a voice. Or even, or even, I'm not an adult. Sure. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I'm. I'm still making silly jokes about farts. So therefore, I'm not writing for the New York Times, and isn't that amazing? But I think again that I think that only gets you so far. Uh, if you want to be respected, I think you've got to. I think, I think being able to write like that is a, a talent. Um, but you've got to be able to put that away. And if you can do, do that and write well in a sophisticated way too, then I think you've got something really solid going. I'm I'm very conflicted about about BuzzFeed, you know, who who have just <clears throat> just completely shot to 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 like Facebook dominance at least lately. Uh, from the standpoint of, um, I'm now in a position where I won't click on BuzzFeed lists in the same way that I used to not click on on Gawker stories uh, or used to not click on on Vice stories. But obviously, those companies in some ways have gone through transformations and are, are doing some things that some people would you know consider powerful journalism buzzfeed is an interesting case because as they're doing the you know kind of the 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 bottom feeding lists they're also doing like legitimate journalism at the same time yeah there are a lot of properties like that doing things that make me feel really dirty um and and you click on them you know i hate it when i click on a link and i I think oh why did i click on it and yet you scroll all the way down to the bottom exactly and then inevitably there's five icons of you know, some other link that's going to make you feel even worse uh, than the one that you clicked on, but yet you click on it anyway. Um, yeah, I hate sites like that, but BuzzFeed's definitely high on my list, too. But it's this weird, you know, I, I, I think it's having journalists that feel like they want to do serious work and having the ability to do serious work, but also knowing that they need to pay the bills and struggling right now to be successful properties, both from a, a respect standpoint and also from, from a monetary standpoint. You know, if you can't pay the bills and you can't write the great stuff that you want to, so the great sites are the ones that can write compelling stuff that brings in the readers, uh, but yet it doesn't tarnish the brand. And I, I feel like, you know, I feel like BuzzFeed is is unfortunately not not got a good mix in that regard. Do we? I mean, do you see do you see us getting to a point in the next few years where? Um Moving on to the New York Times, for example, doesn't necessarily feel like a huge promotion. You know, moving on to um, classic media. I mean, I understand that Wired's always going to kind of be one of the few sites that can skirt that. Rolling Stone may or may not be, um, but it still feels like. And and this and and for me, I, you know, on a on a on a personal level, this is something that goes back a very long time because I. Um, I, I graduated college in a time when there were still magazines and there were still newspapers, much more than there are now. That, um, and I would go so far as to say that when I first made the transition to, and I think PC Mag is probably the example of me making that transition very slowly because they just got rid of the magazine. Um, but for a long time, I, I, I did consider writing solely for the internet being a bit of a demotion it it feels less like that but i don't know that it feels less like that to all people it's a very very difficult transition for myself too i mean think about it there's right now going on a big split between the wall street journal and and all things d and if you had to choose between the two which would you rather write for the wall street journal or all things d um and you know for some people that's an easy decision for a lot of other people that's a pretty difficult decision 
which would you prefer if you had to choose between the two? And I think that we're at that point now where, you know, I, I, we, we talked about this before. A lot of the outlets that we wanted to write for growing up just either don't exist anymore or they're just so small compared to what they used to be that, that there's just not that, that prestige there. And I see the same thing happening when it comes to, to print and novels. You know, I've wanted to write a novel since I was a kid, and I feel like I need to hurry the hell up and write a novel because the novel industry, I think, is, is going the same way. So right now, I think online journalism is at the point where it's eclipsing the print stuff, but I don't know that it's ever going to be held in this high regard. Does it always feel transitional? I mean, you know, thing because things are moving so fast now, um, but it's felt... Since I've been blogging, at least, it's felt like we were moving towards something, but I, I, I can't say what it is. And, and as, as we continue forward, the, the less and less sure I am that we are, in fact, moving to something more, more permanent, at least. So much of what we're doing is chasing after what we think the readers want. Um, and it's proving again and again that, that what the readers want is short, quick burst updates. Um, and, and that kind of thing is, is great, and if you can do it well, that's great. Um, but to be able to do that well and to also do strong journalism that makes you feel good when you t- tuck yourself into bed at night um, that's a difficult mix uh, so there aren't very many people who are doing that really really well yeah and and, and again on, on, on a personal level you know do, do you are, are you are, are you chasing after something else professionally I mean is this is this what you're gonna do I mean is this are you gonna do what you do now is this your kind of defining career <laughs> I don't know that anybody can really expect for a career to last the rest of their lives anymore, especially in the industry of technology because things are changing. You know, we're seeing companies like Nokia and BlackBerry crumble, uh, really incredibly successful, well-established companies fall apart. And there's nothing to say that the same thing can happen to the companies that write about those companies. Uh, if anything, it's even more likely to happen. Um, the industry shifting, and we've got to be we've got to be on top of it. I still think there's a strong need for news. I still think there's a strong need for great feature writing. I still think there's a strong need for reviews. I think there always will be. Um, but to be able to do that well and to stay ahead of the readers and to give them what they want, um, that's a challenging thing for sure. So, but for me. Right now, you know, I'm, I'm focusing on feature content. I, I've always loved writing features. I've always loved the opportunity to, to stretch my legs a little bit when it comes to voice and that kind of thing. So that's what I wanted to focus on for now, for sure. Um, but, you know, the management side of things and building teams, I've, I've always loved doing that, too. And, and I think it probably won't be too terribly long before I have some more responsibility in that regard. So, so, so the moral of the story is... Um if you're able to do what you want, do what you want while you're able to do it. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, absolutely, and always be flexible, sure. I'm assuming at some point over the past few months you you kind of looked around and and, and you know, wondered yourself if, if technology was what you wanted to, to, to continue in. I mean I'm sure I'm sure cars for you know were a pretty uh, you know pretty pretty big uh, pretty big possibility for you. Um, do, do you want to keep defining yourself as being a, a tech writer? No, I want to always be a tech savvy writer and a tech aware writer. But uh, no, cars. You know, I, I loved cars long before I learned to love computers, and I've loved computers since I was like five. So that's something that has always been a big part of my life, and motorcycles too. Uh, but again, that was one of the reasons that I went with CNET, because they have a strong presence on the autom- automotive side too. And that presence is only going to get stronger as, as more and more people get more, more educated about their car purchases. And there was a, a survey that came out toward the end of last year that said that uh, in-car technology was one of the, the top two or three buying choices for people who are buying new cars. So again, that puts me in a pretty good place, knowing technology and knowing cars well. Um, there are still not a whole lot of journalists who can kind of do both equally well. 
So, but for me, yeah, car journalism is something that I've loved and something that I, I think I will have the opportunity to do more of uh, where I am, which is great. Do, do you still uh, do you still hold on to coding as a you know as a just in case? I do and I don't. Um, coding is one of those fields that you get obsolete very quickly if you're not paying attention. But it, as an enterprise architect, I've reached the level where the individual technologies, the individual programming languages ceased to have that strong of an importance. You know, it was all objects and interfaces and UML and fun stuff like that. So that's definitely a career path. And I still have folks who reach out to me from time to time who want me to go back in that world. Uh, I think I could, but no, uh, it, it'd be difficult for me, I think, to step back in that world. Uh, if I did, and I could still keep the writing up on the side like I did before, I could probably be happy, but um, that's not a career path I'm, I'm aiming for right now. When I was in college, I um, had a few people tell me to not to get into writing. <laughs> right, writers, you know, writers, and who knows better than writers um, that it's a terrible field, field to get into. And it always kind of felt like kind of a hacky, a hacky thing to say, right? Um, like the, something the cool professor would tell you, but um, I find myself telling people that now. You know, I've got a uh, I've got a cousin who recently graduated from college, and he um, you know he's looking to get some internships and things. And I, I I do find myself telling people that you know unless and and again it's a total cliche, but like unless you're literally incapable of doing anything else with your life, don't do this. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I I was lucky enough to get my first freelance writing gig when I was a sophomore in college, which is very, very rare. So I was actually making money writing before I graduated. But even then, you know, as a graduate, I probably could have gotten a full-time gig somewhere and I could have scraped by for a couple of years. But um, but for me, it took a long time for me to get to the point where I, I knew that it was the right time to, to do this full-time and to jump over full-time. And it took me years to establish the contacts and establish the, the, the kind of pedigree that you need to be very successful in this industry and i you know i've been very lucky i've been very fortunate so my advice is always to do to write you know if you got to write then write uh and if if you really really love it then you will put together a portfolio that'll be big enough and good enough uh, that you'll be able to go somewhere else and, and and hopefully get a job but the idea that you can kind of graduate from college with a writing degree and suddenly step right up and be a hugely successful writer I don't think that works these days. I know at Engadget we always looked at writing examples and we always looked at passion. We looked at a lot of factors. Um, I think you've got to be reasonably well proven already before you can help or hope to be successful as a professional paid writer, which is difficult. It's really hard, really, really hard. Yeah, I do. I, do. I mean, you know, and it's, it's it's something that I thought about a lot, and I know there there are a lot easier ways to make money now, <laughs> you know, than than writing, but. Um, I I can't I can't not I mean I find I feel bad when I'm not doing it you know it's it's one of the reasons why it's hard for me to take a vacation is because I it it's the one thing in my life that I absolutely have to do yeah absolutely I had a, about a six week break between Engadget and CNET and I wound up doing two things one was getting under my my car my MR2 I spent a lot of time tinkering under that in my garage the other thing was I took my novel out I I took the mothballs off of it and I got started on that I I, I mothballed that about two weeks before I started adding Gadget. I wrote down everything I could. I did a massive brain dump. I made this wiki for myself just so that I knew all the characters and how I could get back into it. And I put the thing away and pretty much forgot about it for two and a half years. Uh, and I dug it, dug it out, dusted it off, and picked it up again. So, you know, I had no assignments to do. And I was also doing a weekly update on tech news and some other blogging here and there. I wrote 
I think, two car reviews just for the kicks, uh, one of which wound up on Jalopnik, which made me very happy, but that was an after-the-fact kind of thing. Yeah, I couldn't stop myself from writing, so it's absolutely in my blood, too. What, what is that process like, um, putting, a, putting a story away for two years and all, suddenly taking it out and, and starting it up again? Uh, for this story in particular, it's difficult because there's a lot of characters and a lot of stuff going on. Um, it was... I literally installed MediaWiki on my personal website, uh, and I created pages for each character, and I d- wrote their physical description down and, and their major plot points and that sort of thing. I uh, wrote down all the other entities in the book and everything else that I needed to know, uh, and I just... I even wrote each chapter out uh, and said what happens in each chapter. And I wrote myself a, a, a to-do list of, you know, here's what happens next. You know, write this chapter, this chapter, this chapter, fill in this, go back and look up this so you can actually n- know what you're talking about when you're writing this chapter. Um, and I just basically wrote a how to how to continue this novel for myself. And I am now incredibly thankful for myself because I would have just deleted the whole thing and started over again otherwise. I wouldn't have been able to pick it up otherwise. So, I mean, you, you know, you had six weeks i assume that wasn't enough time to to finish it where are you now no i uh, i think i was maybe three or four chapters in to begin with i think i'm now six chapters in so um so i, I made some fair progress which is which is great i mean i was only working a couple hours a day on it um and i hope to be able to continue to do now it'll be you know a couple hours a week probably as i continue to work on it but but it's something that i don't know if i'll ever get it finished i hope i do i hope i get it published i hope there are still novels when i get it published uh you know at this point it may be a kindle release rather than a print release the way things are going but um but it's something that i you know it's a story that i want to tell and i hope i get to tell it was there so as you're sitting there a couple hours a day you know um working on this and you're um kind of in the woods where you live um how strong was the urge to just have that be your life oh it's incredibly strong i was very tempted to make that my life uh, you know, I kind of lined up all my freelance opportunities and did the math and said, you know, do I want to try to do this? Um, and it, it probably would have worked, but it would have been contingent on this novel being a success. Um, and I, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily a risk-averse person in everything, but when it comes to my life and my finances and everything else, uh, I guess I am a bit risk-averse in that regard. And if it's something that I can do without affecting my primary career and then see if it's something I want to transition into... Um, that's probably the path. I mean, that's the path I took into writing, and it's worked out pretty well. So, it, I hope that I can continue to write the novel on the side, you know, evenings and weekends and that kind of thing, and then um, throw it out there and see what happens. And then, if it's a huge success, maybe I'll transition over to that. Well, my, uh, my my writing has kind of killed my writing, and that um, you know, my 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 day jobs and the the writing that I'm doing professionally has has totally killed any drive to do creative writing and. Um, and, and in a sense, it 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 just feels it, it's so much safer to to you know to to write about a computer or to write about you know to, to do a review of music or even to do a feature um, to work with real things to build that into a piece and you know also not to to spend two years working on one thing. Um, I, I I don't know I don't know that I can make that that jump back into doing something creatively full-time it's it's hard having that time away helped because my mind was always going a million miles an hour in a million directions and i don't think you can write a good novel without being at least a little bit focused um but for me you know i try to read the fiction of people who i respect um read the picture the, the fiction of people with voices that i respect 
Uh, and I try to kind of clean my mind and purify my mind a little bit at the end of the day, which I could never do at Engadget, but I can do a reasonably okay job at, at CNET so far anyway. Uh, and try to get myself into a, a, a conducive writing state of mind and, and put myself in, in the position where the characters are and, and write from there. Uh, I don't know if it'll be successful or not, but that's what I'm trying to do. Also, for better or for worse, when you're, when you're writing on the internet, you're getting literally instant feedback. Um, do you, what do you, what do you do with those six chapters? I mean, does your wife, does your wife get to read them? Yeah, I'm terrified that this thing is going to be terrible. No, my wife hasn't read anything yet, but I very, very, very explicitly detail the storyline and all the, it's, it's a sort of a sci-fi kind of thing. So I, I detail the technologies with her and it, does this sound feasible? Is this an interesting storyline? Does this in any way intrigue you? She re- reads a lot more sci-fi than I do. So I was asking her, have you read anything like this before? Has somebody else gone down this path? Um, I, I will be soliciting feedback, but I honestly don't know if I will until I get it done or near done, just because I feel like I need to kind of put it all together and then go back through and, and then make it actually sound good. Because, you know, writing is more about the editing process, I think. When you're talking about creative writing, it's more about the editing process than it is about the actual initial process, in my eye anyway. So I'm, I'm getting things down as well as I can, and I plan to go back through and, and make it a little bit tighter. And at that point, yeah, I'll be getting feedback from a lot of folks who I trust. Folks, you know, at that point it'll be, who can I hand this to who likes me enough to read a book uh, but who doesn't like me so much that they'll feel obliged to lie to me about the quality of this thing because that's the worst thing that you can do to a, reader is to lie to, or to a writer is to lie to them about the quality of the work. Yeah, I, for, you know the the uh, I, I'm I'm very I'm very a very quick writer when it comes to doing you know even like features for the site. But um, yeah, as you said, the editorial process is important, and I can't I can't stop myself from constantly going back and re-editing stuff if I'm trying to do something creative. I mean, that's what that's why I can't get past ten pages on something. Yeah, it's definitely hard. I can write incredibly quickly when it comes to blogging, and, and so I sort of did the math for myself. I was like, yeah, okay, I can like knock out a chapter a week now, and I can I can get this done by the end of the year. Uh, but it's it's when you're making things up as you go along, you know, when you don't have a press release to go back to, when you don't have an interview a transcription to go back to, um, when you're literally pulling things out of thin air onto a, a piece of paper uh, or a text editor, as it were. Uh, it's a very, very different thing. It's 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 excruciatingly agonizing and slow and painful. Um, but when I go back and when I do the edit, that's that actually is rewarding to me because I think, oh yeah, I wrote this. This is kind of neat. I can kind of get into this. To the point that that if um, if it does if it does get published, if it does get out there, if people do read it, you know, does that does that become do you become a novelist? That's a good question because it's so hard to to know. There, there was always. The dividing line was kind of always: if you self-publish, then it's debatable. If you self-publish and you're not a success, then you're, you know, are you a novelist? You know, people would point to Proust and that kind of thing as being the most successful self-novelist in the past. But, but now with things like Fifty Shades of Grey and with the ease of where you can basically paste your story into a, a, a an application and three clicks later have it up on Amazon.com. Does that make you a novelist? Uh, and I think it does. Uh, so now the, the dividing line becomes novelist versus successful novelists um, and well-respected novelists and, and where are you you know what's your what's success for you and for me I don't know I mean t- to throw it out there and have a couple people on Twitter go wow I really enjoyed that I'd feel I'd feel pretty good about myself uh, obviously though I'd love to have it go out there and have a million people download it and, and um, make enough money that I can make that my livelihood for sure but uh, I, I mean when I started doing this uh, back a couple years ago the, the idea was write the novel 
get an agent, go to a publisher, and make it work. And now I think, well, I'll probably put a chapter up on Kickstarter, uh, see if I can get money that way, and then just publish it myself. Uh, so, and that's within three years that's changed. It'll probably take me another couple of years to finish this thing. Who knows what the industry is going to look like then? I, I guess I should rephrase the question. Um, if it's successful, whether or not you've pub- self-published it or you know somebody else has published it, do you become a novelist and stop being a, a, a tech journalist? Ah, okay. I think I stop being a tech journalist only if it's financially successful. So if it becomes the sort of thing where I make enough money to pay for me to leave work and write the next novel before I... For my dog, yeah, before poor Yoshi has to go to the street to make ends meet. Um, yeah, I think that is my definition of my stopping becoming a tech journalist. But ultimately, I mean, I love this stuff. I love talking to companies and learning what they're up to, and I love doing product reviews. And you sure as hell know I love driving cars and doing reviews of those. Um, so, you know, I would love to be able to do, to do both, to do everything. But I always want to do everything, and there's only so many hours in the day. There you go, Tim Stevens, the uh, the nicest guy in tech and my former boss. Thanks so much to Tim for taking the time to meet with me at a uh, incredibly noisy diner in Manhattan. That was actually, believe it or not, the, the quietest place that I could find. But I don't know, kind of kind of like the jangly plate ambiance of a New York City diner. Uh, thanks to Tim for coming out for that. Uh, thanks to uh, thanks to Brian as always for editing this together. Thanks to Mark and everybody at Boing Boing for hosting it. Uh, thanks to you, the listener, for being a listener. If you liked what you heard, please write us on iTunes. Uh, send us a note. It's riylcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Tumblr. That's riylcast.tumblr.com. Uh, we will be back next week with another episode of the show. Got all kinds of exciting things lined up for you guys. Uh, we've got an interview with Peter Bag coming up. Um, RJD2, Travis Morrison of uh, this membermint plan. Um, I'm at, actually out in San Francisco right now as I'm recording this, and I spoke to uh, my friend Julie Samuels over at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Really uh, interesting and very relevant conversation we had about patents, patent trolls, patent reforms, things like that. Uh, lots of good stuff coming up. Uh, we will be back next week with another episode of RIYL. Bye.